Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is October the 11th, 2023. It's been 3,515 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 230 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. During today's podcast, you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed, and there is a link in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. We maintain that the soft response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border will eventually lead to a significant incident that could result in military intervention unless a firmer position is taken. Finland and Estonia are currently investigating intentional damage to the Baltic Connector Pipeline and the telecommunications line in the Baltic Sea. We maintain our assessment that the Ukrainian summer-fall counteroffensive is likely reaching its culmination point due to a number of factors, including degrading weather and significant questions about continued military aid from the United States even though Ukraine still maintains significant combat potential. The removal of the United States Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, has put future Ukrainian military operations at extreme risk. We further assess that the abrupt ending of U.S. military aid will be catastrophic if a resolution is not reached within the next 15 to 22 days. Additionally, Western partners are not meeting their promised military training, including for F-16 pilots, heavy equipment and ammunition delivery dates, and these continued delays are negatively impacting Ukraine's military capabilities. The Kremlin is using the Israel-Hamas war as a distraction in the information space to fracture support for Ukraine further and has engaged in large-scale disinformation campaigns. Additionally, Russia is trying to take advantage of the geopolitical situation that is impacting many of Ukraine's allies by launching a wave of large-scale attacks designed to exhaust Ukraine's ammunition reserves faster. We maintain that Russia has started its campaign to destroy Ukraine's energy infrastructure, and while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts in Kharkiv. In the Kupiansk operational area, AO, Russian forces launched a series of intense attacks on Sinkivka throughout the day, 
supported by artillery and armor. Over 16 clashes were reported, but there was no advance. The Russian Ministry of Defense, Armored, reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive at Liman Pershy. Fighting also continued near Ivanivka, but at a reduced tempo. Our skepticism of the claimed October 9th Russian advance was well placed, with no change in the situation. Now it's time to talk about the situation in the Donbass, starting in Luhansk. In the Svatova AO, Russian forces continued attacks east and northeast of Makiivka, supported by armor. There were significant losses and no change to the line of conflict. Near Kremina, fighting intensified in the Serebransky woods near Dibrova and Kuzmine. Russian forces are attempting to dislodge Ukrainian troops from well-established defensive positions. While Russian forces continue to control the salient east of Torske and Yampolivka, the road out of Kremina is under intense fire control by Ukrainian artillery and drone operators. Azov Brigade Commander Major Bogdan Krotevich said, quote, On the entire Eastern Front, the enemy has taken active offensive actions. Now Ukrainian soldiers especially need your support. Unquote. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, GSAFU, called the situation quote, extremely difficult. In northeastern Donetsk, GSAFU presented our analysts with a bit of a puzzle. In the Bakhmutyo, GSAFU reported a Russian attack in the area of Chasiv Yar was repulsed. The city is six kilometers west of the known and well-established line of the conflict, with Hromova, Bogdanivka and Ivanivske between it and Bakhmut. Russian sources did not make any claims about a breakthrough. Based on the available intelligence, we assess this was a squad of platoon-sized sabotage and reconnaissance team that was discovered and provided a one-time permanent retirement plan. Mutual fighting continued in Klishchivka AO, near Klishchivka and Andreevka, with Ukrainian forces holding their recent advances. The Russian Ministry of Defense, Armod, continued to report that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive near Kurdyumivka. In southwestern Donetsk, there was intense fighting in the Avdiivka AO. There are a lot of towns mentioned, and this would be a good time to open our war map. The link is in the podcast description. On the morning of October 10th, Russian forces unleashed a massive artillery barrage on Avdiivka and surrounding Ukrainian positions. Three Russian battalions, equivalent to a brigade, supported by armor and the Russian Aerospace Forces VKS, launched multiple attacks from Krasnohorivka, Novobakhmutivka, Novoselivka Druga, Vesele, Vodyane and Piske. A Russian attempt to secure the H-20 and T-5011 highway interchange east of Keramik failed. Russian forces advanced up to 200 meters from the base of the Krasnohorivka plateau in the direction of the Avdiivka coke plant. A Russian advance from Vodyane used the same route that has caused the loss of dozens of tanks and infantry fighting vehicles since February. A video recorded by a drone showed one armored vehicle never even getting out of Vodyane, 
rolling off an engineered bridge, causing the bunched-up armored column to pause. The link to the video is in our daily situation report, and there is more information in the podcast description on how to become a Patreon. The column regrouped and advanced north into the no-man's land, where it was wiped out. Russian forces attempted to advance deeper into Pervomaiske, also without success. Multiple videos showed Russian forces suffering heavy losses of equipment and personnel, but hundreds of disorganized Russian troops are said to be scattered around Avdiivka. While today's attack was as intense as July and August 2022, and the coordination between artillery and ground troops was improved, the tactics employed were poor, resulting in significant Russian losses and only marginal gains in one location. Claims by a prominent Russian mail blogger that Ukrainian forces in Avdiivka are surrounded and there was a Russian breakthrough from Krasnohorivka to Berdychi are false. The large offensive appears to have come at the cost of operations in other AOs. In Marinka, Russia continued to do Russian things with no success. Northwest of Staromlinivka, Armod claimed Ukrainian forces continued offensive operations near Priyutne. In Zaporizhia, Brigadier General Oleksandr Tarnavsky, commander of the Operational Strategic Group of Troops Tavria, reported that Ukrainian forces carried out 1,415 fire missions, a significant increase from yesterday. Russian forces carried out half as many, but did execute 19 airstrikes, taking advantage of better weather. In the Huleipole AO, there were multiple reports of fighting north and west of Polohe. Ukrainian forces reportedly advanced towards Zehirne, while GSFU reported a Russian attack from Injenerne was unsuccessful. Another puzzle for the analysts. Both settlements are located in an area where intelligence has been sparse for over a year. A Russian attack from Injenerne would have to pass through Ukrainske, which we have coded as contested since July 2022. Zahirne exists in name only, but does have woodblocks that would support an advance. Currently, we don't have enough data to make a determination. The situation in the Urihiv AO remains relatively stable, with Russian and Ukrainian forces trading territory. A prominent semi-accurate Russian mail blogger claimed Ukrainian forces advanced toward Novofedorivka. And by their tone, it was potentially a tactical advance. On the western edge of Verbove, Russian forces launched an unsuccessful counterattack. Positional fighting continued along the second echelon of the Surovikin line on the 140 and 160 meter heights, while more intense fighting was ongoing on the edges of Novoprokopivka. It's time to talk about the Black Sea, including the countries of Romania and Bulgaria, occupied Crimea and the Mykolaiv and Odessa regions. According to a report by Bloomberg, Turkey, Romania and Bulgaria are planning to create a special joint naval unit for demining the Black Sea. 
the details are being finalized and the mission could start as early as November. The operation will be done under a humanitarian banner and outside of the scope of the NATO alliance. It's time to talk about theater-wide events. Estonia and Finland have confirmed that the Baltic connector undersea gas pipeline between the two nations had obvious damage by an, quote, external factor. The pipeline was damaged in Finnish territorial waters, while a telecommunication line some distance from the pipeline was also damaged in Estonian territorial waters. The Finnish newspaper Eltalahti, citing government sources, wrote that the damage was, quote, not accidental, and officials believe it was a deliberate attack. NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg told reporters during a press briefing, the important thing now is to establish what happened and how this could happen. If it is proven to be a deliberate attack on NATO critical infrastructure, then this will, of course, be serious, and it will be met by a united and determined response from NATO. The president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, visited Romania and met with the president of the country, Klaus Johannes. During the meeting, they discussed F-16 pilot training and how to accelerate the creation of the Joint Training Center, which still hasn't opened. Sidebar. Western partners are not meeting their promised military training, including for F-16 pilots, heavy equipment and ammunition delivery dates, and these continued delays are negatively impacting Ukraine's military capabilities. F-16 training will start in June, July, August, September, October, hopefully November. It is incredibly frustrating to read reports in some Western media sources stating that Ukraine is unprepared for Russian wintertime airstrikes. At the same time, Western partners continue to delay promised training, which would help defend Ukrainian airspace with a united and determined response. Zelensky said that there would be good news soon regarding artillery and anti-aircraft defense and thanked President Johannes for Romania's continued support. Joint cooperation for Ukrainian grain shipments between Romania, Moldova and Ukraine was also announced, and a new grain corridor would open soon. Russia released a video showing a Ukrainian Su-25 parked on the ramp at the airbase in Krivirih being destroyed by a drone. The video was geolocated, and unlike other videos released by Russia with similar claims, this was not recorded using a potato that a bulldog sneezed on and cut away immediately after the impact. The video clearly showed the results of the strike and the loss of the airframe. There remains the possibility that it was a decoy or an inoperative aircraft. We we'll link to the video in the situation report. What do you think? Ukrainian developers created a new handheld radio that is hardened against Russian electronic warfare systems. The new encrypted Himera radio works in a spectrum that existing Russian technology cannot jam. The system includes a built-in GPS beacon, which a soldier can use to signal their location for medical evacuation. 
Ukrainian company Metinvest has created a Lancet catcher to protect Ukrainian armor and self-propelled artillery. The mobile shelters are 10 meters long and have integrated camouflage. The first 32 have been highly successful, and due to their performance, full production has been authorized. Germany announced another military aid package to Ukraine, valued at 1 billion euros. It includes a full Patriot anti-aircraft missile complex with a command post, generator, radar and eight launches with ammunition. It also includes two IRIS-T air defense systems, one medium-range and one short-range, and three Gepard anti-aircraft systems. German arms manufacturer Rheinmetall also announced they have accepted another order for 150,000 155mm artillery shells for Ukraine that Expel Munitions will produce in Spain. Tens of thousands of shells will be delivered before the end of the year, and the rest in 2024. The Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast discusses war crimes and human rights abuses that some may find disturbing. Today's report does not contain any sensitive information, but it is infuriating. I'll let you put your coffee cup in a safe location. Ready? The Security Service of Ukraine, SSU, accused two brothers, Volodymyr and Dmitro Mamon, of helping coordinate the October 5th Russian missile strike on the village cafe in Groza. The pair were collaborators during the Russian occupation, and fled during the Ukrainian Kharkiv counteroffensive. By continuing communication with area residents, they gathered intelligence on things like troop movements, Ukrainian defenses and large events. Learning the time and location of the funeral, they passed the information to their handlers, even though they knew it would result in the likely death of former neighbors. Based on the evidence collected, the SSU served a notice of suspicion in absentia to the brothers, accusing them of high treason committed under martial law by prior conspiracy of a group of individuals. The number of victims in the village of Groza increased to 55, according to Dmitro Chubenko, spokesperson for the Kharkiv Oblast Prosecutor's Office. Specialists have conducted 168 DNA tests on the remains with 63 more results pending. The remains of the two women identified yesterday were among the five listed as still missing. In Kherson, Russian forces shelled the Church of the Nativity of the Virgin Mary for the second time since Sunday, causing additional damage to the structure. Previously, we had reported that the Russian Federation announced its intent to rejoin the United Nations Human Rights Council, on the same day, two reports were released accusing Moscow of numerous war crimes. The bid to rejoin the Council was rejected. Before my co-host and our executive producer Zarina Zabrisky takes over with a special report, a quick footnote. We are covering the Israel-Hamas war as special reports through our Patreon. You can find a link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to The War Report. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. Now it's my pleasure to introduce Zarina Zabrisky, 
with her continuing coverage from the front lines in Kherson. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Let's speak about Kremlin's false narratives in Ukraine. In July 2022, over 40 United Nations states issued a joint statement condemning Russia's attempts to justify the military invasion of Ukraine with false narratives. We condemn Russia for once again abusing its United Nations Security Council seat to spread disinformation. We reject Russia's continued efforts to distort history for its own political purposes and to promote hugely damaging false narratives and disinformation about neighboring countries, the statement said. What is a narrative and how does it relate to facts? Mark Leite, chief of strategic communication at SHAPE, NATO's military headquarters in charge of alliance military operations, and in the past a special advisor and spokesman to former NATO Secretary General Lord Robertson, the BBC Defence Correspondence, explains that a narrative is more than just a story. Rather, a narrative contains many stories and, more importantly, it is an explanation of events in line with an ideology, theory, or belief, and one that points the way to future actions. Narratives make sense of the world, put things in their place according to our experience, and then tell us what to do. A strategic narrative aligns the strategy and the narrative so they become mutually supportive and integrated, explains Leite. He proceeds to give an example, translating the Kremlin's strategy from operational style language to emotional terms. The language is important. Let's take a look. The strategic goal phrased in plain terms, in order to put pressure on and regain influence over the Kyiv government and prevent its westward orientation, we will use covert action and, if necessary, further military means to increase and exploit pro-Russian sympathies, regain Crimea, and support a pro-Russian enclave in Ukraine. Translated into the narrative language, it sounds as follows. The fascist junta in Kiev illegally toppled the elected government and is viciously oppressing our Russian compatriots in Ukraine who desperately needed and called for our help to protect their culture and rights. The end of quote. Leite points out that these are not just random lies, but lies that support the strategic narrative. Today, let's take a look at some of the latest Kremlin narratives. This is Alexander Kovalenko commenting for Malcontent News Podcast. I have an important message for the Western audience. Watch out for Kremlin psyops. 
filter you news and stick to critical thinking. The information war is not just ongoing, it is escalating. Alexander Kovalenka, a military political analyst at Information Resistance, a non-governmental Ukrainian project created in 2014 after the Russian annexation of Crimea, Information Resistance works on countering external threats in the cyberspace with a special focus on the military, economic, energy, and IT security sectors. Today, Kovalenka reports that in the near future, Russian propaganda will significantly increase the spread of fakes and manipulations related to the situation in the Avdivka area in Donbass. This campaign will be identical to the Kremlin narratives that were spread during the battles of Bakhmut. Currently, Russian propagandists are tasked with disseminating fake news and integrating it into the Ukrainian and Western information space. What are they? Fake news narrative number one. In the Avdiivka area, the defense forces of Ukraine, quote, suffer catastrophic losses, unquote. Even the wounded will have to fight. The units are staffed with elderly men exclusively, and no one is able to use the Western equipment that partner countries are transferring because everyone is killed. This fake narrative exaggerates grossly the losses of the Ukrainian forces. Fake news narrative number two. According to the Kremlin propagandists, Avdiivka is, quote, surrounded, unquote, by the units of the Russian occupation forces. Reports will appear in the Russian media and information space globally, daily, about the complete encirclement of Avdiivka. The marginal term kettle, which means a pocket or encirclement, will be increasingly used. The cattle narrative will almost always come with the losses narrative. See fake news narrative number one. Fake news narrative number three. The defense forces of Ukraine leave Avdiivka, quote, in a hurry and chaos. Don't quote, it will be falsely alleged that the Ukrainian army is, quote, fleeing, don't quote, from the city, disobeying the orders, deserting, and leaving positions without permission. Fake news narrative number four. The old one and familiar one. President of Ukraine Volodymyr Zelensky and Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Valery Zeluzhny are in severe confrontation and mutual hostility because of Avdivka. This fake news narrative has been generated and spread for a long time, but now it will be given a push. All these fakes and manipulations will be dumped into the so-called gray segment information platforms and the media, especially through the comments and interviews with certain sources that are trustworthy but remain anonymous. For instance, a, quote, soldier, unquote, or a commander 
of a Ukrainian Army Forces Unit from Nyavdivka spoke about colossal losses and supposedly, allegedly, soldier from Avdivka who wished to remain anonymous spoke about the encirclement, you guessed it, cattle. Also, the resource of puppet Russian experts from the foreign pool will be widely used. Basically, these are folks that have been long discredited with absurd and delusional statements. But now their mass commentary on the situation in Avdivka will turn into an informational storm. Kovalenko also notes that the situation in the Avdivka area is challenging. It has never been not challenging, though. Avdivka has been in constant defense since 2014. Let's also talk about another fake narrative circulating this week. It's connected with the attack of Hamas on Israel. Almost as soon as the first shots were fired at Israel, a number of Russian propaganda platforms started spinning manipulative reports claiming that Hamas, which attacked Israeli cities, was armed with weapons previously delivered to Ukraine by its Western partners. This media attack was to be expected. Back in 2022, Russia launched a large-scale information campaign to undermine or even fully block international military assistance to Ukraine by spreading fake stories about the armed forces of Ukraine allegedly selling those foreign weapons on the black market. Despite Russian propaganda efforts to generate a huge number of such fake reports across various platforms, not one of them has ever been confirmed. However, despite the unconfirmed and obviously far-fetched nature of these manipulative narratives, the efforts to generate even more of those has never stopped. And the target audience was both the average Russians and the populations of Western democratic countries, especially the United States, where such messages were channeled through the media and politicians loyal to Russia. After Hamas launched an attack on Israel, Russian propaganda revived the above-mentioned campaign with even more vigor, claiming that a number of weapons systems seized from terrorists were allegedly coming from Ukraine. At the same time, not a single report has been confirmed or verified. Russia fully seized the opportunity to gear up the PSYOP and employ all available resources under their control with the clear objective of compromising Ukraine in the eyes of the international community. A range of media platforms and political figures calling for cessation of further assistance to Ukraine mainly the Trumpist win in the Republican Party, massively contributed to spreading these narratives. In particular, Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene, a political conspiracy theorist known for promoting Russian interests in Congress, has already accused Ukraine of sending Hamas the weapons that Kiev received from allies. However, these latest accusations like many that they've heard before, come with certain nuances. 
First of all, weapons and equipment transferred to Ukraine are thoroughly controlled and tracked. It is simply impossible to resell this weaponry in any conceivable way on the so-called black market. Never has any such sale been verified and confirmed. Secondly, Russia does have certain trophies from the battlefield, and this poses a certain risk. There is a full-scale war raging in Ukraine, and military equipment isn't only damaged or obliterated. Occasionally, it also gets captured as trophies. Ukraine got hold of hundreds, even thousands of units of Russian military equipment and weapons. Russia has also captured some equipment and weaponry from Ukraine, including those donated by Kyiv's Western allies. And Ukraine's partners are well aware of this situation. In fact, had Hamas have anyone in their ranks capable of operating tanks, this terrorist group would have already been armed with captured Merkava MK4s tanks. Many thanks to Alexander Kovalenko, who gave me a permission to translate and quote his reports. You can see more on his social media, Facebook, Twitter, Telegram, and Medium pages. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.